Lord, we ask you to speak where your servants are listening. Would you meet us? Would you strengthen us? Would you comfort us? Would you bless us at the preaching of your word and coming to your table? Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About two and a half thousand years ago, a philosopher named Heraclitus observed that the only thing constant in our world is change. Today is my last Sunday with you all, and that is a big, big change for me and for my family and for the relationships that we've shared together and for this church. And it's normal to have some mixed feelings about it. I know I've had lots of mixed feelings. And we are very excited about what God has for us next. Um, But we have also been very, very sad, grieved at the changes that will take place. They're just things that I don't want to change, right? That's normal. That's natural. I I don't want these friendships that we've enjoyed uh, over these years to change at all. And yet they will with geography. I don't want the privilege that it's been to serve you all as your pastor to change, and yet I know that will change as well. This has been really the only home my children have ever known in Charlotte, and so we are grieving that change as we move to a new place. And so I'm sad for these changes, and yet I do believe Heraclitus got that right, that change is constant. Transitions are inevitable, and we all know that. You all have experienced a lot of change in your life. Some of you have raised children and sent them off to college or into their next adventure, and they left home, and maybe you were sad or maybe you were glad, but it was a big change. Uh, Many of you have made significant moves, even recently, for a job, to be closer to family, for some reason, and that is a massive change that you have walked through. Uh, Nearly all of us over the course of our life have changed churches at some point. Uh, This church wasn't here when a lot of us were born, and so we, we have changed churches at some point and said goodbye to a community of faith. So change is a constant. Change is normal. If you're a human being, you have experienced plenty of it. Some of it we like. Some of it we don't like. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, we know that change serves a greater purpose. It is not random. It is not simply the outcome of human decisions. Change, whether happy or sad, whether easy or hard, is part of a larger story. Because we know that there is a God who is more constant than the change. He is over all change and therefore can orchestrate those changes for his purposes. Because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we can see change not just from our human perspective, not just from the the lens of loss or of inconvenience, but we can see change from heaven's perspective. And it's that perspective that we're going to consider this morning from the book of Acts. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at how the Holy Spirit was at work in the earliest days of the church. And by any measure, if we look at the early church in Jerusalem, things were growing really, really well. 
the first church they had, um, the first service they had on the day of Pentecost, what a church planner might call a preview service, resulted in 3,000 conversions. And it just went up from there. They formed a deep and rich community. People were enthusiastic. They were devoted to Christ. They were devoted to one another in community. They were, the, the preaching was spot on because it was coming from the apostles. They had a practice of radical generosity, sharing their possessions. They were ministering to the poor. They were having regularly signs and wonders. There was good leadership. There was solid organization. And when they encountered obstacles, and they did, they overcame those obstacles in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they kept growing. This is the success story of church planting. This is what every church dreams of. Until a change happened that they did not expect. Do you remember Stephen? Acts chapter 6, he was one of those appointed to minister to the widows. We looked at him last week. Well, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is brought up on charges before the religious council. And he gives this incredible defense of the faith but it does not win over those who were trying him. They were enraged by his speech and they stoned him to death. And he became the first martyr of the church. And then at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, just after that happened, we read about this major turning point for the church in Jerusalem. Luke writes in Acts 8, Verses 1 and 2, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Not the kind of change they were looking for. Things were going so well, the church was growing not just in numbers, but it was growing spiritually. It was growing in maturity and ministry. It was growing in all the right ways. From a human perspective, this is a terrible change. Not only because of the suffering that comes from the persecution that's that's hurting people, but the church now being scattered. What's going to happen to their momentum? What about those fruitful ministries? Why, we ask, would God allow such a change? Well, to understand heaven's perspective on it, we have to go back to Acts chapter 1. We have the resurrected Jesus. He's not yet gone back to the Father. The Holy Spirit has not yet been poured out on Pentecost. And he's speaking with his disciples right before his departure. And they were asking him a very normal question. What's going to happen next? I mean, can you imagine how shocked these guys were to watch the cross, then watch the resurrection, and then have these incredible encounters? And that's a natural question. Oh my gosh, we've been on this roller coaster. Jesus, what's going to happen next? But they had this particular question, this, this longing of their heart. They said to him, is this the time, Lord, that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And you have to go back through the Gospels to understand what that meant and where their hearts were. They were asking, is this that cataclysmic moment for which we've all been waiting when you're going to put your enemies down, when you're going to make all things right, when you will begin your rule and reign on earth, surely this would be a good time. I mean, you just conquered death, right? This would be it. This would be the moment. And Jesus responds in Acts 1 verse 7. It's not for you to know the time, the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. 
How disappointing an answer. Is this the time? It's not for you to know. Is this the moment where you're finally going to make the world right? It's not for you to know. You have to keep waiting. But he didn't leave it there, did he? He goes on and he tells them what they do need to know. He tells them their purpose between that moment and the moment when the kingdom would be finally restored. In verse 8, Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What is the Lord's purpose for them? What is it for us to be my witnesses? Where? In Jerusalem. That's where it all started. That's where the church was planted. And they were doing a great job at it. The church was thriving. It was growing. But also in Judea, Jesus said, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And up until this point in Acts 8, we really don't have any witnesses in those places. The church and its witness was mostly contained to one city, Jerusalem. And yet Jesus was clear. My purpose is for you to be my witnesses everywhere. And so what did the Lord do? He scattered the church. He allowed this great persecution to come against the church in Jerusalem in order to scatter his people through Judea, through Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as his people went, they were witnesses. They fulfilled his purpose. Just a few verses later, Acts 8, verse 4, we read this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It's interesting to note that the ministry of the word in Jerusalem was centered on the apostles. You saw that last week. They, they protected that ministry. They understood that this was our ministry to preach the gospel, to teach the word. But when the per- persecution happened, all these people were scattered except the apostles. Luke notes that they stayed in Jerusalem, which means it was the people who were taking the word out. It was the people who were being scattered into the nations to preach and to teach the gospel. For a while, it had been the apostles, but the people had learned the gospel. They knew the gospel. And so they went out and they preached and they bore witness to it. These were disciple-making disciples. So why did God allow this persecution? Why did he allow this tumultuous change to shake up things in Jerusalem? Because they were going so well. One simple reason. You will be my witnesses. Not just in Jerusalem, but to the end of the earth. And our Lord will use whatever means he has to accomplish his missionary purposes, even if it is persecution. Our change might not be persecution. Given where we live, it's probably not, though some, for some of us it might be. But if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, our purpose is the same. You will be my witnesses. And so when a change comes, whether that's a job change or a church change or a house change or a city change, there's a greater purpose for that. When you move into a new neighborhood... There are reasons that precipitated that change in your mind. You were upsizing, you were downsizing, you were moving closer to work. But heaven's perspective is a little different. You're there for a reason, to bear witness to Christ and to his kingdom. 
In your new living situation, there are people for whom you are the witness to Christ in his kingdom. You might think, well, we moved here to be closer to work. That's fine. That may have been some purpose, but God placed you there because of that neighbor, because of that coworker who needs your prayer, who needs your friendship, who needs your unique way of bearing witness to Jesus. Twice in the last nine years, God has placed us in a house in Charlotte in a neighborhood. And after a little bit of time, made it clear to us that there was multiple neighbors, but one in particular that we were supposed to pray for and do our best to befriend and bear witness to in Christ. He has purposes for us. Our move wasn't just about a house. Your move, your changes is not just about whatever you think it's about. It's about the kingdom of God and bearing witness to it. The rest of Acts chapter 8 follows a man named Philip. Uh, Philip was one of the other deacons appointed along with Stephen in Acts chapter 6. When the scattering happened, Philip found himself in Samaria. It's the region north of Jerusalem, not a place that devout Jews like to go. They didn't get along so well with the Samaritans, but that's where Philip went. And he proclaimed Christ to the Samaritans, and they received it with joy. There were signs, there were wonders, people were healed. That news reached the apostles in Jerusalem. And so Peter and John, two of the big guys, the big dogs, came down to check things out to see what is going on in Samaria. And what they found was the Holy Spirit is on the move. These people have come to know Jesus. And so they prayed and the Holy Spirit fell on these disciples in Samaria. And then Peter and John, as they made their way back to Jerusalem, they continued to preach in the villages of Samaria. Do you see what's happening? The Lord's purpose is being accomplished. The gospel is going to Samaria. We come back to Philip again in chapter 8, verse 26 and following. And this is the story I want to spend a little more time on this morning because I think it shows us in a beautiful way what it can look like to be a witness for Christ wherever he scatters us. So three observations from the story about Philip and the Ethiopian. First, it doesn't always make sense. It just doesn't. The way God scatters us, the changes he brings about, it doesn't always make sense. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. God told Philip to go to an intersection in the desert. It's a desolate place. Luke wants to add that detail for us. Even if Philip was all about God's missionary purposes, why would he go to a road in the desert? There's there's no people there. You want me to just, just go to an intersection down the road out in the middle of the country? Sounds very similar to the call of our forefather in the faith, Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, when God says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Can you show me now? No, I will show you at some point. But he calls us to step out, to uproot, to go. And it doesn't always make sense. We're not always told where. And even when we are told where, it doesn't always add up. Go to a road in the desert. Philip didn't know why he was going there, but he was obedient to the call and he went. And soon enough, he discovered the reason. There was going to be a person passing by, just just that place who needed to hear 
the witness to Jesus. Verse 27, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Doesn't make sense to us, but God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that exactly at that moment, at that intersection, that somebody important, somebody strategic in his missional purposes was going to be coming by. And not only coming by, but reading at a particular place in the scriptures. And he had a person there. He had Philip there ready to bear witness to the kingdom of God and to the Christ. Is there some change in your life right now that you don't understand? That you can't make sense of? Or is there some change in your life that you think you understand? God's got a greater purpose for it, friends. He doesn't always show us all the reasons. Even after they take place, we still don't know all the reasons. But rest assured, he has reasons. And they're more than just about us, about the circumstances of our life. They are reasons bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Strategic opportunities. Sovereignly ordained opportunities. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to these things so that you don't miss them when they come along. The second observation, the Holy Spirit is already at work. The Ethiopian official was reading from the prophet Isaiah. So he's already interacting with the Spirit's witness through the prophets. And then verse 29, it's the Spirit who directly commands Philip to go over and to join the chariot. And I'll get the picture in your mind. It's a chariot. It didn't stop. So the text says that Philip's running. So he's running alongside trying to catch up with this chariot. So Philip's witness is important. God is going to use that. But he's not the only witness. The Spirit is already bearing witness to the Ethiopian official. Jesus said that a long time before. John 15 and 16, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, he will bear witness about me. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the spirit of the living God has already gone out into the world. He is bearing witness to Jesus. He's already convicting people. So when we step into a relationship with someone, be that a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, we need to know the spirit's already there. The spirit's already at work. He's doing his own witnessing. Now, some people in our lives would be like, there is no way the Spirit is doing any witnessing to this person because we see no evidence. But he is. The Spirit has gone out into the world. Even if a person's resisting that, the Spirit is bearing witness to Christ. And so when we come into a situation, we are joining something that's already happened. We have our role to play, but it's the Holy Spirit who's orchestrating all of it. I think that's important because it takes the pressure off it reminds us that it's not all about us. We don't have to have the, the perfect gospel presentation worked out. We don't need to have, uh, be an eloquent person. We, we just need to show up and play our role. I had a roommate in college, not a Christian, um, and early in our first few weeks living together, I remember we, we got into a conversation somehow about spiritual things, and I, I shared, I tried to share the gospel with him, and I remember thinking afterwards, that was the worst gospel presentation of all time. 
A few weeks goes by and, and we're going to a Bible study and, and he's coming along and I ask him, I said, did something, why are you going to a Bible study? Like, would something happen? Not expecting at all that anything I said could have ever convinced this guy to be a Christian and he told me that he had. It's not about us. He'll use us, but the Holy Spirit is doing his own witnessing. It's also good to remember that sometimes we just have relatively brief encounters. That's what Phillips was. He brought to this road in the desert, sits with the Ethiopian for a while, and then he's whisked away by the Spirit someplace else. The Spirit was there before, and the Spirit will be there after we're gone. Especially if it's a relationship that, that we know we're not going to continue in in the same way. Third observation. We bear witness to the crucified Christ as the interpretive key. I'm going to explain that. We bear witness to the crucified Christ as the interpretive key. So Philip heard the Ethiopian reading Isaiah in the chariot. Back then, the skill of reading silently had not yet been developed. So if you're reading, you're reading out loud. So Philip heard it, and then he asked the Ethiopian a question. Do you understand what you're reading? To which the man answers, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. Isaiah is a big book. What part of it was he reading? Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering of the Messiah. Not an accident, friends. The Spirit had ordained that at that moment, at that place in the road, he'd be reading that portion of Scripture. And it raises, as it would, a question for the Ethiopian. Who is this about? Who is this one that suffers? And Philip steps right into the opportunity to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, the suffering one. Jesus Christ crucified is the interpretive key that unlocks the mysteries of the universe. It's that truth that makes sense not only of the sweeping story of human history, but also of every individual's story, especially those stories that involve a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, which most human stories do at some point. So in our faith, what we hold dear, we hold the secret, the interpretive key to the great questions, to the great mysteries of the universe and to every life. The Apostle Paul put it in this grandiose way, writing to the Ephesians chapter 1. He says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. We know the plan. We know the key that unlocks the story, which means that witnessing is interpretation work. We're, we're listening to people's stories, to, to their questions, to their longings, to their pain, and we can bring in this key, this crucified Jesus at the center of everything that unravels the mysteries and answers the questions. And so when we picture witnessing, what, what is this about? I think this story fills out a wonderful picture in it. We, we come alongside and we are invited to sit with someone in their chariot as they make their way along in life. And we sit beside each other and we talk and we listen and we share stories about the crucified one. Sometimes we sit beside them 
briefly. Sometimes we're called to sit beside someone for a lifetime. It all depends on what the Spirit has planned. But for whatever time we have, we bear witness to the good news about Jesus. Who in your life right now has asked you to join them in their chariot? You might not even realize that that's what it was. Maybe it's that coworker that comes over to your cubicle and keeps interrupting you. And Gosh, I wish this person would leave me alone. Maybe he's inviting you to sit up with him in his chariot. And initially, it might not happen that they're reading the Bible and say, would you come over here and help me interpret this? I mean, that would be really nice, wouldn't it, if they would just do it that way? But maybe they're willing to talk to you about life, about their sister-in-law that's dying of cancer, about their marriage that broke down some years ago, about their children who've gone off to college, something. But they've opened their heart to you and they want to talk, and that's your invitation. You sit beside them on the chariot. So good old Heraclitus, he was right. In this life, change is a constant. But change for the follower of Jesus Christ has a purpose. It's not random. It's not just the outcome of human decisions. When God disrupts something in our life, when he scatters us about, he does so for a purpose. You will be my witnesses. Change may be difficult. Might not make sense, but God has sovereignly ordained the changes in our lives for his missional purposes. Today's a big change for me, for our friendships, for this church. And I've wrestled with that. I've grieved that. And I think part of the pain, as I've come to understand it, is that my role for the last nine years has not been to scatter. It's been to gather. It's been to try to pull us together around word and sacrament. It's been to try to pull us together in community to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's been my privilege to serve you in this way for these years. And it brings a lot of grief to know that it's changing. Thank you for letting me pastor you. Thank you for letting me be your priest. As I prayed on it, it felt like the Lord was saying, Randy, I've let you experience just this much of my shepherding heart for these people. Just this much of my priestly ministry for these people. Just this much of my longing to gather them in love to myself. And it's such a joy that he allowed me to step into that. Today he scatters, today he changes, today we are being called to another place. Today, we don't get to sit on the same chariot anymore. And it is a bit paradoxical. Why does the Lord, the good shepherd who gathers, that's what a shepherd does, why does he also scatter us? Why does he change up things in churches, in our lives, in our families, and move us around to different places? He's told us why. You will be my witnesses. But it's connected to the same part of his heart. You see, his pastoral heart, it's a missionary pastoral heart. It cannot stop just with us. It cannot rest with just one church. Jerusalem was not enough. There were more people. There were more flocks. There were more sheep that he wanted to gather to his heart. And he was going to use us to do it even if it hurts. And so he scatters. And so he changes. 
And so he spreads us out. But here's my hope. And this has been a comfort to me. There is a great and final gathering still to come. When the good shepherd will call the exiles home. When he will once and for all gather together all the witnesses and say, come, come inherit the kingdom. Come enter the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servants. And we will be together in that place once and for all. And so I hope our paths cross in this life again, and I trust for many of you they will. But even if they don't, we know they will once and for all in the end. Let's pray.